Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has been given more, he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A very warm welcome to you all this morning. And uh, excuse me while I try and get all the pieces of paper in the right order. Does anybody know, just to kick us off, does anybody know what day this is today? Thank you. Yes, St Andrew's Day. So, uh, for all Scots here, or anybody who's uh, originally Scottish, generations ago perhaps, uh, a special day for us Scots. Uh, There are times at Scotch College where you get given the passage to preach, and it's in the record, the boys' record books or diary. And every Monday uh, we follow that particular reading in chapel. And sometimes you look at it and you go, Who on earth picked this? Why this particular passage of scripture? Because it's not particularly easy, especially to try to get it and apply it to young people uh, and mostly non-Christians. So how do you get this? And one of the one of the passages we had recently was the one we just had from Matthew's Gospel. And I want us to look at it again here this morning, because it talks about waiting. And we're not particularly good at waiting, and uh, boys in school are especially not good for waiting. 
especially around recess and the before lunch, and throughout through towards the end of the day as well. And normally, what you get from the boys is, Rev, Rev, can you let us out early? Uh, because we want to go to the tuck shop and make sure we're at the front of the queue because we don't like waiting in the queue and all the good stuff is taken. So Rev, please, let us out so we can go and eat. Uh, And it doesn't change for many other things. We don't have that desire to wait. We're a society that likes instant gratification. We want it now. And so it's no surprise then that the boys want out now so that they can go at the head of the queue. We have to get used to waiting. We have different kinds of waiting. Little children can't wait for Christmas. Parents can't wait for the new year after Christmas. We wait sometimes for an answer from God, like Job, who waited for God's answer. And we wait for various periods in our lives. Jesus, let's just set the context here, Jesus in his final days really, in his earthly ministry, before going to the cross, it is is basically reinforcing the idea of waiting to the people of God, to the church, to his disciples. He gives them a series of parables, all of which have the theme of waiting there, undergirding them. At the first parable, it talks about the, the family businesses either grinding flour or working in the fields, where suddenly one is taken away, either to heaven or to judgment, we don't know. But the idea being there is it is unexpected. They're going about their business and unexpectedly one is taken. And Jesus is saying, well, look, wait. Wait, you wait, wait as those who are not taken by surprise by their master's return. He then goes on about the parable of the thief and how you should be prepared and ready so that you're not surprised by a thief breaking in and taking your stuff. So he's saying, wait as those who are always ready. Goes on about the parable of the unjust steward who extorts and abuses his fellow servants and he's held account by his master who returns. And Jesus' point in that parable is wait as those who will give an account of their ma- to their master, give an account of their service and their actions. Then we have the parable of the, the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish, and five who bring the extra oil, knowing that the master may be delayed. They're waiting for him, but he might not come in when they expect. It might be delayed even further. You've got to understand wedding ceremonies in the ancient Near East, where people waited for the bridegroom to arrive, but he might have got waylaid in the weeks. It was a whole week's worth of celebration. He may have got waylaid somewhere else and have an extra party somewhere with his friends, and eventually he comes. And hence the reason we've got to wait as those who, because the master might be delayed. So be wise and account for the possibility of delay. And when we get to this particular parable that we're going to look at this morning, we are to wait as the Lord's slaves commissioned 
to improve their master's assets. We wait as those servants of the Lord waiting upon the master's return and in the meantime we are set the task of improving our master's assets. Um, first of all, we need to get the idea of what slave and a servant is. When we think of the idea of a slave, and the word here is slave, not servant. When we think of slaves, we are commissioned, and we, are, sorry, we think about uh, late 18th century, 19th century, even 20th century slavery, where people really are, are, are chattels. Where the slaves are not regarded as people, they are regarded as things and can be abused accordingly. Uh, we think of slavery in the southern states of the United States of America or in the plantations of the West Indies. But rather, in the ancient Near Eastern world, servants had an immense amount of responsibility. They would be held to account because they were given such noble tasks. They could be accountants, business managers, teachers, tutors. They were given particular tasks by their masters to complete. And they had a degree of independence uh, and a degree of, of power to bring about the desired ends. They had ability and obviously they were trusted by their masters to do the job. And so in our parable the master comes and he gives three servants uh, a set of talents, each uh, dependent upon their trustworthiness and their degree of responsibility. Now, their talent was a weight measure. It comes from the Greek talenton. Here's your Greek for this week. A weight measure. Uh, and now, if a talenton of silver was involved, it would be 6,000 6, denarii. A denarius was a silver coin that was equal to one day's wage. So you think about 6,000 silver coins, which is roughly 25 years' wages. So roughly, let's say, two and a half, three million Australian dollars. That's just the one talent. So when one gets five talents, we're talking about here's a slave being entrusted with basically a multi-million pound company and being told, look after it and improve it. And similarly, the other two slaves as well, who are regarded well, but they have different amounts to look after because of the master's consideration of their ability. And so he says to the men, the master says to the men, take these talents, put them to work, improve it, invest it in business, trade, establish a company, flourish, let it grow. And after the long daily, he will come back and see what they've done. And of course he does come back, and we know the story. He comes back, he sees the man with the five talents, and uh, he comes and um, he lays down and says, Look, you gave me five, I've made another five. Look at that. How amazing is that? Ten talents now. And the master replies, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with, did you notice in the text, a few things. There's ten, no, you know. 
a few things. 15 million. Ah, don't worry about it. That's just a, that's just a trifle amount of what the master owes. You've been invested, you've been investing with just a few things, but you've been faithful with it. And God, you've been blessed. So you can just imagine how marvelously wealthy then the master is. Come, he says. Come and share your master's happiness. The second slave comes, and exactly the same words are used. Look, you gave me two, and I've doubled them as well. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been trusted with a few things. Come and share the master's happiness. Uh, It's amazing what the Lord has done for them. And he promises the two servants two things. He says to both these two servants, I will increase your responsibility. I have seen, he says, I will put you in charge of many things. Put you in charge of many things. Come. Secondly, and share your master's joy. Enter into your master's joy. It's amazing what we think when Christ returns, the uh, kingdom of God will be consummated and there will be increased responsibility. And there will be an outpouring of tremendous and wonderful happiness and sheer delight. But then, of course, the third slave comes. And he comes, and you can, in some ways, understand him a little. But he comes and says, Master, I knew you were a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now you can understand in some ways the man's logic. Especially if the talent he'd received was not silver, it was gold, and it would have just been an astronomical amount of money. You can understand him. Because he knows that when he invests it, the reward will not be his, it will be his master's. And should he make a dodgy investment and it all falls through the floor, he realises then that his neck will be on the block. It's almost a lose-lose situation. You know, if things go well, well, great, but I'm getting nothing from it. And things go badly, I could be killed. But the reality is... That he has a deeper resentment. You see that when he says, I mean, you, 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 you sow. You reap when you haven't sown. You, you harvest when you've done no sweating and toiling. But you, you don't provide master any sweat equity in this. You just give us a bit of money and then toddle off. On some holiday perhaps. Now you can understand maybe the, the serve slave's reluctance. But please don't make the idea that he's sort of in a trade union uh, and that he's just withdrawing his service and putting his mo- the money of the master in a hole in the ground so it's nice and safe and it isn't taken by thieves and robbers. He is not some kind of worker. He is a slave. We must remember that. Well, of course he's got responsibility, but ultimately he is still a slave to his master who has been given a job. He's been charged 
with a bag of, of money and he's been told to investment. He should have done his job. He's not done it. Moreover, as we've read the passage, he doesn't even put it in the bank. He doesn't even do the bare minimum. He would have got interest, at least something, of a return. And the master says, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. And then when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from. Give it to the one who had ten. And throw him out. The main point then of this parable is that the Lord Jesus, his followers, are to wait. But we wait as those who have been commissioned, given a task, to improve our master's assets. We are to improve our master's assets, first of all, and not, and copying out is not an option. We can't just say, oh, thanks very much, but I won't bother. We're not allowed the excuse. Because the Bible says that we are slaves. We were once slaves of Satan, of the devil, but we have been set free by the blood of Christ and are now slaves of Christ Jesus. That is what we are. Not members of a trade union, not employees, not going into bargaining arrangements. We are slaves to Christ. Their enslavery with Christ is true, genuine freedom. For we are forgiven slaves. And forgiven slaves with a task of improving what God has given us, each individually, the talents that we have received. And this passage suggests that we need, as commissioned slaves, to be passionate, passionate, about laying up our treasures in heaven, as Jesus says elsewhere. Not simply feathering our own nests and improving our own bank accounts here on earth. If you've been online, you will have had emails or seen clips of Black Friday. The latest venture by corporate companies to increase their profits and to get us spending more money not on the work of the gospel or the glorification or the improvement of this world but on ourselves. There's a clip of people going into a shopping centre in the UK with a big huge pile of flat screen TVs and they're going in time lapse photography and is everybody going like ants picking up a TV. I'm sure they've got TVs at home. More than one. But we need a bigger one. To improve our lot. We are commissioned to improve our master's assets, not our own. And secondly, Jesus' followers who are waiting, we are to joyfully recognize the roles and responsibilities as slaves and to do so with joy and thanksgiving. We take on our responsibility with gladness and pride and loyalty in wanting to improve 
this world. Jesus is at it. His church, his people, those in need. We are more than just a good employee who's done 25 years service and will get a gold watch. We are more than that. We are, we are belong to the king. We belong to the master. And it is out of our profound love for him because of his first love for us that we want to improve his assets. We want to take him seriously and not so much ourselves. We want to improve all that he has and all that he is rather just improve our own situations. If we have the Spirit of God within us, if we are born again, if we are converted, if we are following Jesus Christ truly, then the effects of the Holy Spirit within our hearts will be evident. No one will be able to deny its effects. The wind blowing, we may not see the wind, but we can see what the wind does. And blowing a flag and a flagpole of the dust eddies. Or we feel it on our skin. We can't deny the effect of the wind. So our actions should point to the fact that we have God's Spirit within us. Genuinely converted people of God, slaves of Jesus Christ, come with joy and gladness and delight to show the Spirit of God is within us. We have a concern of love for us round about us rather than a preoccupation on ourselves and a self-love. Thirdly, if we see this parable in its context, it's good to put it up against the parable of the, the wise and the foolish virgins. You see, the foolish virgins thought that they had a job that was easy. Too easy. Nothing much. Just wait. You can come at any time, but just you wait. And that's all they did. They just sat around and waited. But they didn't budget into the fact that they needed more oil to keep their lamps alight, just in case the master was to come unexpectedly, or the groom was to come unexpectedly at night. The wicked servant in this parable thinks, not that his job's too easy, but he thinks his job's too hard. And so he hits the opt-out button. Now there are some who say they become Christians and they blossom for a while in the church and before we know it, sadly, they, they seem to have no root and they disappear and there's no perseverance found. And yet there are so many discouragements in our culture, within the church, problems at home, the difficulties of life, the hardness of standing up at school or college, university, work, neighbourhood, and saying, you know what, I am a follower of Jesus. That we just feel like, oh, this is too hard. Can I just not be invisible? Do I have to be involved? Shouldn't I be able to just sit at the back, come every occasional Sunday, say a few prayers, and then go home? Can't I just sit at home sometimes and curl up and have a time for me? when I can think about my problems and I don't do anything for Christ. Can I get on with my life? 
Can't I just complain to God and say, why am I not having my best life now as promised by the TV evangelists that come on my screen? Why must it all be about Jesus and commitment and obedience? Why do I have to be a slave? Well, we could say because God is God. He is the centre of all things. We will all give an account to him, but it's more than that. It's more than that. We are made in God's image, each and every one of us. We are made in God's image. We are unique. We have been made by him. We have made, been made for him. And then it is our, for our good, for our well-being, for our shalom, for our peace, that we are God-centered and God-obsessed. It is for our good that we want to see his beauty. And we want to see him and adore him forever. To enjoy him. It is for our good that we want to hunger after righteousness. And whatever you want to, us to do, Jesus. You, you, we get this idea that God is some mean master. Who re- reaps where he hasn't sown. But he harvests And he hasn't done any of the sweating and toiling. We think and forget that God is good. And that he really does love us. And he really has the very best for us. And that the very fact that our bad and the worst things happen to us is when we run away from him. When we run from the master. When we dig the hole and put our talents and cover them up and much as well cover up ourselves. It's for our good that we place him first. It's for our good that we are God-centered. If we had a God who was indifferent, then perhaps opting out would be valid God looking down from heaven saying, well, I don't really care. I don't really mind what they do. I don't really mind what they think. I don't really mind if they even bother worshipping me. God is not indifferent to us. He sent a son. Here, today, the first Sunday in Advent, we remember, he sent a son made in our likeness, in human form, Taking the form of a servant for our sake. Not an indifferent God, not a mean, unloving God. It is for our good, for our eternal salvation, for our eternal transformation. And He wants us to see God in all His beauty and glory and power and holiness and grace. And He wants us. To worship him and to serve him. We are slaves by creation. We are slaves all the more so by redemption through Christ. This merciful God does not wipe us out as we deserve. He gives us more things, more responsibility. And he says, go ahead. Go ahead. You know your gifts. You know your abilities. Go and improve my assets. Improve them. And so as genuine slaves of Christ, let us desire 
to improve the assets of our master and do so, please, with a passion for Christ himself. Finally, the parable talks about our waiting as being active and not passive. We've already kind of implied that. But we have an obligation to use what we have for the service of the King. That's why we're grateful this week for the team that's come from Deacon. That's their time. That's their holiday. But it's not really their time. It's not really their holiday. It becomes to the Master. And we're glad for that use joyfully and gladly to use the, their time and their abilities and their gifts for the service of the Master to improve the Master's kingdom here on earth. How then do we improve our Master's assets? What does this parable really mean then? It means serving the Lord, using the gifts that He's given us, giving a glass of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ to those who are thirst, feeding those who are hungry, forgiving one another so that there are no grudges left in church by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in, in a church and in a house group and uh, uh, every other opportunity that we have to share that message of God's grace to us in Christ. Sharing with others so that they might become servants of the Most High, slaves of Christ, and that they would desire to serve and improve the pastor's assets. It's taking our abilities, it's taking our free time and saying, what are you doing with it? How are you improving our master's assets with your time? With your imagination? What do you, what do you go off on when you daydream? Is Christ honoured in it? What do you read? Plug for the library. Would you last read a Christian book? When have you last improved your mind? We are to improve our master's assets. Now granted, some have more talents than others. Some are for those who are great behind the scenes and others better up front. There are those who are prayer warriors, who are so appreciated by the, the elders and the ministers of this particular church and with the work of the gospel in schools as well. There are those who are vocal but Lord, let us all be faithful behind the scenes or up front because our responsibility, each and every one, is to improve the Master's assets. We're not told how that will happen, but we do know that when Christ's return happens, He will come and He will see us waiting, committed, active, joyful, thankful, and seeking to advance the kingdom of God here through the gospel as we proclaim it. Loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and our minds. That way, don't get me wrong. Waiting doesn't win us heaven. Our obedience doesn't win us heaven. We are there by grace. That's grace of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ that gets us into heaven. But we are to love as slaves already destined for heaven. And as I close, we think of the poor man 
who comes and says, sorry, you're too hard, too mean, and I just wanted to opt out. This man is dismissed and denounced. The talent that he was given is removed from him, and he's thrown out of the master's presence into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, this parable shows two possible outcomes. You'll either hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Or we will be cast out. And what camp do we fit into here this morning? I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm not asking if you're perfect in your Christian life and perfect in your obedience. No, I'm not. But is it your passion to put Christ first? Is it your passion to improve his assets? God's grace washes over us and saves us. By God's grace, may he help us to serve. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's all very well. That sounds like it's all about the church. But let me say to the person who's non-Christian, it doesn't darken the door of a church from one year on to another, really. Look what God has given you in life and everything. Breath and job and money and talent and abilities and gifts. Don't think you're going to be opted out of any judgment come the end. You have a responsibility too to respond to this Jesus. And a responsibility to give an account for the talents that you have been given. Even though you don't recognise the Master. What a thing it is to hear the words, Come and share your Master's happiness. To get that wonderful approval. To say to you, Come. Enter into my happiness. Come and see my joy. Share it for eternity. Not saying this just to superstar upfront Christians, but to all his people who've been faithful, people who've been forgiven, and who in big and small times and small issues they've striven to improve their master's assets. What an approval. What a thing to receive that final day. And you might be put off and say, oh no, not more responsibility, but God will give us the grace in the consummated kingdom, in the new earth, to use the gifts that he gives us, the new talents that he, he has to bestow upon us, to use them well and wisely. But come on, share your master's happiness. You see, when God, Jesus Christ left heaven to come into this world, he left the Father's happiness. He left that place of joy and rejoicing and gladness and praise unending and peace and sinlessness. He leaves that perfect, intimate communion of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That eternal love, that eternal delight and he leaves it for our sake. And we have been invited in. Come. Share this eternal happiness. All that we do, and that last day, all our efforts to build stability and gladness and joy and faithfulness and 
and relationships and everything else that will not lead to nothing. It will lead to eternal joy. And will we do that this morning? St. Andrew's Day, 2014. Shall we? Come. Let's improve our masters at it together. Let's pray.